Did you know that 9 out of 10 UK shoppers will abandon a store using US dollars? I did not know that. Did you also know if someone leaves your store to use a currency converter, two out of three won't return? Well, that doesn't sound good. Not showing prices in customers' local currency might be one of the biggest contributors to your bounce rate. What do I do? If you ship internationally, a multi-currency app is an absolute must. Okay, which one should I get? Well, the folks at Bold make the best multi-currency app out there. What's so great about it? It auto-detects where your customers are shopping from and then shows them their correct local currency so you don't lose them in the first second that they load the site. How? It syncs in real time with a currency database, so it's always up to date. Can I adjust those rates? If you set it to sync real-time rates but want to pad that conversion by a few percent to net a little extra for yourself, you could do that too. What else can it do? It optionally supports vanity pricing, so if you wanted all your prices to end in, say, 99 cents, it could do that for you as well. Sold. How do I get it? Right now, Bold is offering listeners of the unofficial Shopify podcast their Bold multi-currency app free for two months. Just go to curdelster.com slash bold to install it and claim your exclusive offer. That's curdelster.com slash bold. What's the number one customer support request you get? I bet it's, hey, where's my order? My friends at Ventov, makers of SEO Meta Manager, have a solution for this. It's called Order Lookup. And it lets customers look up their orders, right, good name, with either their email or order number, reducing the order inquiries you get in your inbox. We use it on our own high-volume Shopify Plus client stores like Hoonigan and Yvonne Estelle's to provide real-time order info to customers with a fully customizable order lookup page so you can keep that thing on brand. And hey, if you're a dropshipper, it even works with ePacket. You can get a seven-day free trial when you search order lookup in the App Store. Darn it. Mm. So you were on Shark Tank? Who hasn't been on Shark Tank? Things <laughs> out of control. Uh, yeah, we were, we are, yes, yeah, Love is Project was featured on Shark Tank on uh, January um, 15th, and it was amazing, and it was such a great, like, ex- great exposure, and we actually had a Shark Tank re-air our episode this past weekend on Saturday, so I had no idea what was going on, I was like, our, our store was blowing up again, I was like, something happened, <laughs> so it's funny. That is always the coolest part about being on Shark Tank, not the whole, pro- none of that, it's afterward. <laughs> When every time they run a rerun and your traffic just explodes, it's amazing. Yeah, Get, uh, Shark Tank is the gift that keeps on giving. So I no, did. absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, so today on the unofficial Shopify podcast, I am talking to Chrissy Lamb from the Love Is Project, and she has quite the journey. It, for twelve years, she worked for uh, big retailers forecasting trends, and somewhere along the way, was traveling. And, uh, well, you heard it. She ended up on Shark Tank and then now has this tremendously successful Shopify store. Chrissy, let's start with uh, what the heck is the Love is Project? Uh, yeah, so Lo- the Love is Project uh, works with uh, artisans in um, 10 different countries, creating different iterations of love bracelets inspired by the culture and craftsmanship. And the whole concept is to be able to create jobs for the women in, in different countries. Um, and our supporters around the world share what love means around the world with our uh, love bracelets. So it's uh, the, the end product is a bracelet, right? Correct. That part sounds simple. 
But the explanation as to how that bracelet got produced and what it means, that's the complicated part. So I certainly you didn't just wake up one morning and go, I'm going to make bracelets that empower women. <laughs> or did you? Like, wh how did we get here? Yeah, so um, the story, I used to work corporate fashion in New York City for 12 years. Um, I was interested, I, I had taken a sabbatical in 2008 and I was uh, volunteering and working on some projects in Rwanda and um, connecting creative friends of mine to rebrand NGOs and help raise awareness, raise funds. And while I was out there, I, you know, I was meeting with artisan groups and, and also women out there. And I was like really, really inspired by what they were doing, you know, and while I was in Africa, I realized that, you know, that charity is not sustainable and that true empowerment is, you know, being able to provide jobs and economic empowerment. Um, so Hold on, tell me, wait, what, oh, let's unpack that. What do you mean? Um, you know, like it, you can keep on giving and giving and giving, but like that's not solving the problem. And at the end of the day, everyone wants to be self-sustaining and be able to like have pride in what they do and have a job and be able to help their families and, and be able to, you know, uh, help grow and fund their, you know, own businesses and, and whatnot. So, um, yeah, while, while being there, I was just like, okay, you know, this being, doing, uh, Char charity isn't really the way forward. It's really about job creation. So I came. I came back. I was working corporate. Recession hit, so I had a job still, but I was dabbling things on the dabbling on the side, still trying to figure out how to leave my corporate job. And then I left in 20, 2012, um, a few years later, and I moved to Kenya. And I was doing some consulting, and I was working with some of the artists and groups there, like the Maasai tribe, for one. And um, I had this idea to create a message bracelet that said love on it. Uh, the Maasai are really are known for their beading, their beadwork. Um, and I was like, I, I was trying to think of a concept that we could, you know, scale and produce and sell and that I could help market because my background is in concept design and marketing. Uh, and so I thought, okay, that's, this is where I can come in and help, help these people. Um, you know, they know how to fish and it's just like creating the right type of fish and getting that fish to market. Um, so, so once I created that first bracelet, um, I was traveling around the world and I had this idea, I was flying to Russia and I was sitting between two girls, one from Uzbekistan, one from Kyrgyzstan. And I had the idea, I was like, oh, you know, um, I have this bracelet made and we were talking about their countries and I hadn't been there yet. And, uh, we were just, I was like, Hey, I have this idea. Like, uh, if you guys tell me what love means, I'll ask, you know, and I'll take a photo of you with my iPhone and at, when we land at the airport, and then I'm going to do this for the rest of the trip. And they're like, all right, cool. And so I, I asked them that, that those questions and I did that. And then I, I basically like the rest is history. Like I went to another 50 countries afterwards. I had like hundreds and hundreds of people wear that very first original red love bracelet and um, collected all these definitions and then put it in a book basically and pitched it to my old company and which they launched in all their stores a few months later as a social media uh, campaign. And so with that success, it created over uh, 400 jobs for the Maasai women there, quarter million dollar order. Um, and um, I was like, okay, this has legs. Uh, we launched, you know, launched in the States and in Europe and then decided, I decided, uh, a year later to create a standalone brand for love is project. And now we work in, uh, 10 countries and we've expanded also in Kenya to work with over a thousand, 1,400 women all across Kenya, which is incredible. Like the Maasai and the Samburu. And it's incredible to see all the impact we've been having in the communities there. Um, and each country, like I said, you know, like it started with Kenya, 
Um, and then I, I launched in Indonesia and then Ecuador. Um, the reason why I chose those first countries is that I used to live in two of them, but then also that they all sit on the equator line. So it was like a symbolic idea that like this, you know, love connects us all. It's one rotation around the globe. And, you know, like Kenya's helping out Indonesia, Indonesia's helping out Ecuador and then so on. So you make it sound so casual. You said, eh, just move to Kenya, work <laughs> with the tribe and empowered 400 people by helping them make bracelets. And then I got a book put in a quarter million stores. It was. <laughs> It was like 30 seconds. How, what is the time frame there? It really happened so quickly. It was really, you know, strange. It was like a personal photo project I did on Instagram. It was like July 1st of 2014. And then I came back on my trip, pitched it like in um, end of August, September. And then after that, like uh, it launched in all their stores um, end of January. So when we say they, who's they? Uh, it was my my pre my old old employer, my previous employer, American Eagle Outfitters. Oh, okay. Yeah, they have quite a few stores. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that once that happened, I was like, wow, okay, this like this went from just a personal photo project to social media campaign really quick. And then I was like, okay, I had some time to sort of sit on it and think about what to do with it. And I hadn't figured out, you know, I grew up in fashion industry where before digital marketing, before Facebook ads, before all this stuff. So how I thought how you had to grow a brand was totally different. And so um, I kind of was stuck. I didn't know really how to how to do it, you know, like navigate this whole whole space. Actually, actually, I didn't even know it really existed to this whole Facebook ad thing. And I moved to Bali uh, in 20, 2015. And then I was talking to one of my friends who had, you know, had some friends who were in the e-com space. And they were, she was telling me like how they had like multi-million dollar companies and they had grown their companies from, you know, through Facebook ads. I was like, what? I was like, I was like, tell me more about this. And she she told me about this. And I was like, I need to be doing this immediately. Um, so I kind of, I felt like I had had all these like limiting beliefs as like how I needed to grow my business through help, like through brands or just retailers or wholesale, like not really thinking like, oh my gosh, direct to consumer, I really need to be learning and, and having to learn, uh, you know, learn Facebook or ads, learn how to do my CRM use. So it was a, a huge learning process like along the way, but I'm so happy. I finally like pivoted and got behind, uh, you know, the whole digital digital marketing side of it because really grew our brand to where it is now. Isn't Bali a hotspot of entrepreneurship, like e-commerce entrepreneurship or online entrepreneurship specifically? Yeah, there's a lot of people who work remote there. I think, you know, I think before even before this whole COVID thing, like people had been, you know, living in Bali probably at least 10 years prior, you know, kind of working remote and Wi-Fi is gotten better over the years. And I think there's more and more people around the world, like a lot of creatives, a lot of entrepreneurs who are based there. So um, it's interesting that I learned about everything there <laughs> versus uh, here in the States. Yeah, that's, that's quite incredible. So it, at what point do you launch uh, an, an e-com store and take these bracelets? And I, I presume the book as well, direct to consumer. Um, yeah. So I launched the, um, I launched Love is Project as a brand beginning of uh, January 1st, 2017. So uh, a little over four years ago now. And um, I, I launched it from Bali, but I had gotten a fulfillment center in San Francisco. So I was back and forth, like, you know, having things shipped, you know, shipped down to California. And what's that launch look like? Like you, as you transition and you're looking to, to scale this, how did, did you get the word out there? How did it go? Um, you know, I had no idea what to expect. I was just hoping for the best. But um, I think the timing of our launch was really 
uh, I think it was great. It was obviously right before Valentine's Day. So that's our big season, um, as well as uh, Donald Trump had just been elected. So I think there's there were a lot of people who were really needing a lot more love in their life. Um, so I feel that was also um, a, a timely, you know, timely launch. And the uh, the book itself, like it, it was just a concept at the time. It wasn't like edited and copyrighted. So we didn't actually launch the book to sell, sell until um, beginning of 2020. I had done a Kickstarter in 2019 to, you know, put my photos together as well as all the collaborating photographers I've worked with over the years. What? I, I don't even know where to begin with this. I have Sorry. too much to work with here. What haven't you done? Really? What have you not done? We got Shark Tank, Kickstarter, published a book in a whole bunch of retail stores, employed a whole bunch of people. And you visited, uh, I have in my notes here, over a hundred countries. Yes. That's quite incredible. <laughs> that was before when I had more time to go travel. Uh, now I'm kind of more, uh, you know, based in a couple, one or two places <laughs> now. So, And where, where do you hang out now? I'm currently in Hawaii. So it is six, eight, six in the morning here. So it's, you'll walk oh, the sun Good morning. <laughs> no worries. When does, uh, when does Shark Tank happen? Um, Shark Tank happened uh, during the pandemic because, you know, like, what, what do you do when you can't travel and, and do your work and, and work with the artisans anymore? I'm like, well, I was here in the States shoring up the business and it was a really good time to kind of focus on kind of cleaning our, you know, systems up and, and structure. Um, and I was, you know, when my friends had mentioned, mutual friends of ours that I had met briefly that were on Shark Tank, um, a yellow leaf hammock company. And I, I tuned in and watched the clip and I was like, Oh, wow, this is great. I hadn't, you know, watched Shark Tank really. So I was like, I didn't know they were into like social entrepreneurship and Daniel from kind bars invested like a million bucks. So I was like, Oh, you know, I'll, let me look online to see the, the application process. So I, it wasn't too long, at least the first one. And then um, I submitted and I kind of forgot about it because I was moving out of my apartment in the city and some other things. Um, and then I got a call a few days later, but I was, you know, I didn't check my voicemail. And then a few weeks later, they emailed me saying like, Hey, are you still interested? Cause they were closing everything up now. It's like, it was like end of June. I was like, Oh yeah, sure. Definitely. And so then it was like, you know, th three months are just like shark tank. Like I, I watched like every episode of shark tank. Cause I, <laughs> and I was just trying to learn everything about it. And then we kept moving to the next rounds through the different application processes and, and then flew to Vegas in September to film. And then it aired in January. So it was also a six month, seven month time from when I applied to, um, to, to air date basically. So what, uh, what surprised you most about being on Shark Tank? And especially if like after you applied that you watched a ton of episodes, so you were really familiar with like how we see it. What really, what surprised you about it? Um, you know, I think this year was very different just because it was a pandemic. <laughs> so we, you know, normally they film in LA, we filmed in Vegas in the Venetian, in a bubble, you know, we quarantined prior to before for, you know, eight days, it was it was definitely intense, you know, because it was you, you couldn't leave your room and all that. So but it was a lovely venue in, in place. And they were very careful. So I felt I think everyone felt really safe. Um, I think that was, you know, surprising just because I was like, wow, like, this is like one of the only shows right now that's filming. So I, um, that was pretty cool. And then, um, yeah, like, I, I think like, um, just the whole the whole experience, I was um, 
I'm just not like used to pitch. I've never pitched to investors before. I've self-funded my own company um, and I don't normally do public speaking. Like, yes, in my old corporate job, sometimes I would present to like, you know, design team and whatnot, but it was never like, I mean, it was important, but it was never like high stakes, you know, like suddenly like, I'm like, sure, I'm going to just do this on national TV. Like, <laughs> and uh, so that was definitely nerve wracking. So I kept like practicing and trying to, you know, and I, I guess the thing is, is like, I know they want it to be, you know, like natural and stuff too, but I think it was, it was nerve wracking just to, to have, to, to know that like everything was going to be filmed and aired and you didn't know exactly oh. what they were going to air. <laughs> so nerve wracking is an understatement. I would be so anxious. Yeah. So did you, did they offer you money? Did you take money? What happened? Uh, no, we did not get a deal. Um, you know, I think they, they kept thinking, you know, we were like some, like a charity and, uh, you know, and honestly, it's like, you know, we're a for-profit social enterprise. We create jobs for the women. And yes, on top of that, we've been doing, uh, you know, investing in other uh, income generating projects for the women, like, you know, creating food gardens during the food crisis, during the pandemic in these countries, uh, mass making initiatives, um, re up recycling projects. So like, you know, yes, our goal is we want to be able to make money, but it's not the only thing we want to do. We want to be able to help the communities to be able to lift themselves up. So um, I think for them, they they really just were really bottom line wanted to make money. So I think that's, they, they felt like it was confusing. You think they didn't get it? Yeah, I don't think they get it. Didn't get it. Uh, we didn't, the sharks we had, uh, and we didn't have, we didn't have um, like a, say like a Daniel from Kind Bars or Blake Mikoski from Tom's who make, who understands social entrepreneurship a bit more. So, but you know, I think honestly, it really um, worked out for the best because, you know, for us to restructure the company for 5% for 250K really wouldn't have been necessary because we you know have money in the bank and we're growing and we can we've been doubling our growth each year so i think we can keep on keep on doing what we're doing and and then without you know like my mom said on the episode you know we don't have to share the profits with them and again the profits we can use to go in and help and fund um other projects we care about oh your mom is so funny oh my she's great <laughs> i know she's <laughs> such a tiger mom she's really she's so chinese um it's so funny she we just uh, yesterday, our Facebook campaign just aired that uh, profiled us as one of three companies for Women's Month. So they filmed us all day, like a few weeks ago, um, and edited like this really nice um, kind of uh, story about how we work together as well as um, the artisans and stuff we work with in, in the countries. So I, I got to check that out. Yeah. And everyone else should too, because mm -hmm. your, your mom is a trip. She's so funny um, and uh, inspiring, really. Pop quiz. How can you increase your Shopify sales by 10 to 15%? Well, you could start giving away your Netflix password as a free bonus. What do you mean I'm using too many devices? Or you could use Zipify one-click upsell. Created by the owner of a $100 million e-commerce store and trusted by over 8,100 Shopify merchants, one-click upsell helps you boost your average order value with targeted upsells and cross-sells. You can make pre-purchase upsells right from the shopping cart. You can make post-purchase upsells immediately after a customer completes their order. And with mobile-optimized offer pages that drive sky-high conversions and built-in split testing for maximizing your results, it's no wonder one-click upsell has made its users an extra $139 million in sales. <laughs> only takes a few minutes to install the app, 
launch your first upsell, and start generating 10-15% to 15 more revenue overnight. To start your free 30-day trial, go to Zipify.com slash Kurt. That's Z-I-P-I-F-Y dot com slash Kurt. And to get an unadvertised gift, email help at Zipify.com and ask for the Tech Nasty bonus. Tech Nasty. And now back to the show. What was I going to say? Oh, right. So you have said you, you've used the phrase social entrepreneurship many times. And I think one of the trends you know, we're seeing post-pandemic as you know, DTC, direct to consumers, really taken off is people spending more consciously. The conscious, conscience, co conscious consumer, mm -hmm. self-aware consumer, and that's easier to say. And so it's, I think it's an important trend and it's important to me. I, I notice I'm making, you know, spending more in line with my beliefs. Talk to me about social entrepreneurship. Assuming I, let's assume I don't know what the heck it is. Um, you know, it's the triple bottom line. Essentially, it's like profits, people, and the planet. And it's really kind of considering all those things when you're doing a business. It's like taking care of the people you work with. It's, you know, and it's also trying to be cognizant of what you're doing, you know, to the planet, like, you know, the materials you're using or ways to kind of lighten your footprint. Because obviously, it's like I had um, issues like this is, I think, what stalled me from launching an e-com business. Because after working in corporate for so long, I had been, you know, creating so many things you know, and like, I, I was just like, do I need any more things? Do I need to be creating more stuff in the world? And it really, you know, and that's why I was like consulting at first. I was like, I, I don't know if I want to be contributing to that. And then, you know, I, I, I had to really kind of shift that and like get past that because it was like, this is what I know I'm good at. This is what my skill set is. It's like, this is all I, you know, so I can create good products and interesting, you know, compelling, you know, products with great stories behind it. So I, this, I should, you know, really embrace it and um, own it and really make the most out of it and like work with the artisans and, and really help them and, and be able to do, uh, contribute more. So, and I was just like, you know what, if I have to sell, sell products, I'm, that's what I'm going to do. So. I'm glad you were able to identify like, this is my skill set. Mm -hmm. This is what I'm good at. And then lean into it and really leverage it. I think oftentimes, you know, especially with entrepreneurship, you have those moments where you have to recognize what you are and aren't good at and then get out of your own way. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like that's a, a little bit of what happened. Yeah. So earlier you had said, you know, 2015, you're in Bali and you hadn't even thought about like, oh, you know, Facebook ads and selling myself online um, with the uh, Shopify. And because you had this corporate background, but certainly I bet there are skills you have that you, your colleagues don't um, in the, the self-employed world because of that corporate background. What do you think, it, what good came out of it? What skills, what abilities, networking, was there any, was it worthwhile to do 12 years in a corporate gig? Yeah, I'm so grateful. I mean, honestly, I'm so grateful for the companies that I work with and, and had the opportunity to, you know, uh, help grow their companies as the brands. Um, but I think, you know, um, what I took from it, I mean, besides all the experience, I was like traveling around the world at, you know, like, uh, for about 12 years, uh, on, and, you know, seeing so many things like being inspired, going, shooting at concerts, events, trend forecasting, shopping, vintage retail, all these places. It was such a great experience. Like, I mean, so many, I'm so lucky. That sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, it was, it, it, it was the dream job. It was, yeah, it was totally a dream job. And I think when I was, you know, leaving and people were like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're leaving. This is like, I can't, 
but I was just like, I had, I wasn't growing anymore. And I really, I, I felt stuck kind of, and I needed to kind of do my own thing. And, and, and I wanted to make more of an impact. So that's what happened. But like, I'm, you know, I've, I have the experience from, you know, kind of working for brands, but then also all the connections, all my friends in the industry that have been able to help partner with me in the, uh, for future like brand partnerships or other things like other great, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's amazing. Like I'm still in touch with a lot of people from the industry to, to help collaborate on projects. So, um, uh, thinking out loud, mm -hmm. one of the things that I value most about my life is my independence. So I really, that for me is like a driving force behind my love of entrepreneurship mm -hmm. is, is that independence. And you said, Hey, you know, I did, I, I learned what I was going to learn. I, I felt like I was stuck and you know, I, I wanted to to make my mark. Do you think there was any part, any part of that uh, desire for independence uh, was in that decision? Absolutely. Like I, again, I love traveling and I love being, you know, being able to like live remotely, like live in other countries and experience other cultures. So like the life I wanted to live was, you know, freedom, you know, and I wanted to be able to, you know, spend my time like in Kenya, if I wanted to, or in the States or, or in Indonesia. So this job, you know, be able to create my own job and career and, and live the life I actually wanted to, to, you know, I felt like I, I desire, I wanted and desired like is like the best thing ever. I mean, the, the irony is that like, since launching it, I've been so busy and trying to like learn everything. And, and I ha I've had to spend a lot more time in the States. Um, you know, my mom has been helping with like operations and finance stuff. And we've been working with the agency. So like, I've actually had to be in the States a lot more than I thought, because I've had to, you know, buckle down and, and get everything, uh, lay the framework and foundation for everything. But if you could be anywhere right now, where would it be? Um, Pandemic be damned. I mean, I'm in Hawaii right now, so it's beautiful. That's a pretty good. I'm not going to say it's not. It's, it, I've had to, I haven't been back in 10 years, so it was nice to see friends and, and have some, you know, have a little mini break. Um, but I love Bali. Bali is like my home. So I really would like to get be able to get back this year at some point to spend like at least like a month or two. So, so certainly you spend 12 years in this job and then you transition to being an entrepreneur. That's scary. There's no doubt. Um, but it's exciting how but it's it's a thing a lot of people struggle with as their their business grows and it starts becoming less of a side hustle and more part-time job then eventually becomes clear like this could be a full-time job talk to me about that transition how do you transition from that full-time employment to life as an entrepreneur um it's definitely scary i think you know i i since I started corporate out of college, like I was used to having my 401k, having my perks, having all those, all those things, like the security of everything. And like, yeah, once you leave, you, you, you don't, you know, you're kind of like hustling to try to make it work and hope, you know, praying that and that's the flip side of, of like, yeah, independence, I can do what I want. Also, you're a hundred percent responsible for every, like, oh, you want to get paid this Friday? That's on you, buddy. Like <laughs> it's all you. Yeah. It's definitely really stressful. Um, yeah. So I, when I hear friends who are like, oh yeah, like I, I want to do that too, but I, I kind of want to be able to like, you know, hire someone and have someone else do it. And I'm like, oh, no, that's <laughs> not going to work actually. Like, trust me, like you're going to sweat more than you ever have. You will be, you know, you will be super stressed at times. And, you know, obviously there's amazing wins and stuff that can happen, but it's never, it's not easy. And, and you always have to be open to be learning and because everything keeps evolving. It's like the, t the moment you decide that you get complacent or you're too com you're comfortable you're in a very dangerous position i think so i think like i've learned that like 
don't ever like you have to learn everything. Like I don't have to be a master at Facebook ads or CRM, but it's like I have to know all the basics so I can be able to manage other people. Because if you don't, you're going to get screwed. Um, it's funny that you said like, oh, you got to be you need to be wary of complacency. Mm -hmm. And I, I started my business in 2009. And recently I was thinking to myself, I'm like, wow, things are going perfect. I got no stress. Everything's going great. Like, can't be better. And then I went, oh, no, it can't be better. Oh, no. Like that. I was like the complacency. Right. Mm -hmm. Like that's a, it's a weird that that's a genuine fear for entrepreneurs. So in situations like that, I set new goal. It just means I think really, you know, it just means, all right, set new goals and push yourself out of your comfort zone and, and stress yourself out a little bit. Um, so that, that's what I was going through recently. Um, but so tell me so about that transition, like there's. What was the moment where you knew like, all right, I'm going to quit. I'm going to quit. I'm going full time with my own thing. Um, well, it was actually kind of perfect. I had been struggling in the past, like the last two years of my corporate because I was kind of like not sure like how to leave and if I could. And I was not totally, I wasn't really that happy and not because of the job itself. The company's you know, a great company, but I just wasn't fulfilled in my own, in my own way. So um, and they actually, I had worked, uh, in the women's division and area, and then I moved over to kids like the last few years. And they, then the company decided because the kids, kids brand wasn't growing fast enough. They decided that they were going to close it. So it actually was perfect timing because I took severance because I'd been there like for a decade. Um, and they're like, do you want to work in the main brand again? I was like, no, it's okay. I'm actually going to, I'm going to leave. So that's, I kind of took that as the moment to, you know, to, to jump off basically. Cause I had a cushion, um, as well as like I had an apartment in the city. I was like renting out. So I didn't necessarily have to, you know, make rent in the city and I could kind of go off and explore and just see what, you know, what would happen and what I would kind of experience. And then, and then sure enough, <laughs> a few years later, love this project. So some of you, know, some of it's about timing yes. and some of it's about comfort, mm -hmm. but it sounds like, okay, you know, by, um, you know, one big project in your full-time gig had ended mm -hmm. and that kind of like freed up the mindset and the time where you felt comfortable moving forward. Yeah. In addition to you, like it, all the stars aligned there. Yeah, correct. And I felt like, you know, with my background in the industry, it's like I had enough, you know, leverage that I could, you know, come back if, you know, and, and ask, you know, like, pitch collaborations, ideas, other things like that in the future. So it wasn't like the door was completely closed. One of the things I, I noticed about you is that you are tremendously good at PR. Let me rattle off the list here. You have been featured on Shark Tank, Forbes List, CNN, Good Morning America, The Today Show, The View, Oprah Magazine, Paris Vogue, NBC Univision, Refinery29, Glamour, L South Africa, Destination, Cathay Pacific, InFlight Magazines. Wow. So just about everywhere I want to be. What's the deal? How are you really good at PR or do people just love you that much? Which is it? I don't know. Maybe I hope it's both. Um, Maybe both. both. Uh, so like I started doing trade shows because I was uh, I, uh, and so I while doing uh, these trade shows, I would meet with some press I'd reach out to prior to like Oprah Magazine, like Good Morning America, Today Show, and they'd come by my booth and we talk and they're like, oh, cool. Like we should, you know, do a feature on you. I'm like, awesome. That'd be great. Or a flash sale. I'm like, so that's kind of how that started. Um, and then I also with, you know, with my background in the industry, like, you know, I know I knew friends at Glamour, Refinery29, um, a couple other magazines. And so that's how we got that, that press. And then say like I was doing a collaboration with a friend who's creative director in, in, in Paris. And, and so that collaboration got featured in Paris Vogue. So it was kind of through my contacts that things 
would end up getting exposure. So yes, I have been doing my own PR, but I've been also lucky with some of my contacts in the industry. Um, and with Shark Tank, I mean, that's a crapshoot because you never know if you're going to get on or not. So yeah, yeah, well, but actually, that's a good question. How often do you just go for opportunities where it's like, I'm going to shoot my shot, expect that I don't get it. And then if I do great, and it sounded like Shark Tank was one of those. Yeah, that was one of those. I was like, you know what? I think I have a great story. We've done a lot of impact. I think, you know, this would resonate right now with the world, especially through COVID times, the riots going on in the States. Like, I mean, we need more love. I think this is, uh, this is an important message to get out there. And sure enough, I think the producers also liked it. So that was good. <laughs> but how often do you frequently go after those, like, yep. those high yeah. risk or high, high risk, high reward opportunities. I suppose there's no risk to applying other than the time. That's true. Yeah. I, I think, you know, I'm always up for it. Like, you know, if I hear something on a podcast or something application process, I'm like, sure, I'll, I'll apply. Why not? You know, like I already have like a lot of the foundation from my past application. So it's kind of just repurposing it and, and, and putting it in. Like, for example, like while I was doing research on our guest shark, Alex Rodriguez, I noticed that he was a judge for the Forbes uh, next 1000 list. And I was like, oh, I didn't even know there was like this thing. So I was like, I'm going to, I looked at it. I was like, oh, I'll apply for that too. And sure enough, I got it. But had I not been on Shark, had I not gotten Alex Rodriguez as a guest shark, I would have known about this uh, Forbes Next 1000 um, application. So yeah, I, I, there's so many things here that are like opportunities that came your way where the stars aligned. But at the same time, you are seem to be so good at recognizing those opportunities and then getting out of your own way and going for it and, and seeing what happens. So I, I think there's, there's a lesson in there, certainly. Um, but there's too much success here. <laughs> certainly you have to have messed up somewhere along the line. Yes, I have. Show us that you're human. Many things actually. And, and we're still always trying to figure it out, especially, you know, when it comes to Facebook ads and uh, Google ads and all, you know, managing all the agencies and trying to make it, make this whole, uh, make everything profitable for everyone. But I, I would say like in the beginning, like, you know, I, you're having to learn all these new platforms when you have an e-com business. And I, you know, and it's a bit overwhelming. And I had a fulfillment center to a, a different fulfillment center at the time. And uh, everything got really crazy and busy with our first season, like we went, to, you know, our second month in sales, like $100,000. And I was like, sold out of product. I was, you know, there was all this, you know, back and forth. And I was like, on my 3PL sign, I was like trying to figure out some sort of exchange or return situation. I was like plugging in some customer's address and I put it in the wrong address place. And it basically, this woman messaged me a like a few weeks later saying, like a month later saying, she's like, I'm getting all these returns to my house. And I was like, <laughs> no, I was like, or I'm getting returns. I'm like, what? I was like, how is this possible? I was like, so confused. And then I, I emailed my, my, the fulfillment center. I was like, um, do you guys have a fulfillment center in this state or something? Or so like this, they're like, no. I'm like, oh no, something horrible uh -oh. happened. I was like, this woman is kidding. So, so I was like, I'm so sorry. Like, you know, I was just like, but it was just like a big blooper. And I was like, and then the following year, like before Valentine's Day, I was like, this year, this will never happen. We'll have enough stock. We're going to be okay. This is all good. And then sure enough, our fulfillment center um, had to move to this very like remote area and it wasn't a really good situation. So we had like, you never should change. Number one, you should never change your fulfillment center during high season. And you know, unfortunately, we had no other choice. And so we switched to another company closer by. And the day we switched, it was like, they accidentally duplicated 800 orders. 
and oh. we shipped everything oh. during our high season. So some people that year got a lot of love. And then, then it wiped out with some of our inventory. So we couldn't even fulfill. And some people didn't get love. And like, literally I, when I knew that happened, it was like, kind of like watching in slow motion, like, like red wine spill on the carpet. And like you're the realization that you're like, what happened? And you're like, and then I was still doing my customer service on top of everything else. So I was like, wow, I'm going to have to email all these. I'm going to like have to be like doing messaging all these people and trying to figure out like what, you know, all this stuff. So it was really really stressful and unfortunate, but, and it was like a $65,000 mistake and that we got about $23,000 back from. So, um, yeah, that was a bummer. <laughs> uh, so, well, all right. Now, now we, you get to toot your own horn again <laughs> on this incredible journey. What, what have you learned? What is the overarching lesson for our audience, for yourself, for whoever? I think, um, yeah, it's like really about like believing in yourself. Like love is self-love. It's like, if you don't love yourself, you can't love others. You got it. Like take care of yourself, like learn, you know, and, and make sure, um, you protect yourself. I think in the past, you know, like also my personality type, I'm always like giving a lot, like always giving. And then, um, get, sometimes getting taken advantage of or being, uh, you know, so, so it's just like, I think I've had to learn that over the years and, um, just being more cognizant and careful, um, not, but not trying to like still being myself, like being open. Yeah. Without becoming cynical. Exactly. And I, you know, and it's, it's something I definitely needed to learn. Um, and I think we all go through it. Yeah. And I, yeah. And I think an entrepreneur too, it's just like, yeah, it's like lonely. Like you're, you're like here. And that's why, like, it's nice to have like some peers and other friends who are, entrepreneurs too, to kind of be able to talk to, um, because otherwise it's, it can get really overwhelming. And, and there's times that people are like, Oh yeah, you're crushing it. You're doing amazing. I'm like, yeah, I am. But I'm, you know, I'm totally exhausted. We're working 12 hours a day in Hawaii right now or something like that. So it doesn't, you know, it looks easier from the outside, I guess, but yeah, the outside looking in, it's always going to look better. Yeah. Anytime you, you feel the slightest bit of envy about someone, you have to realize like you're looking at their highlight reel yeah. only. And if you want to be where they are, you got to trade everything you did for everything they did. Exactly. It's just once I started, once I changed to, you know, those two things in my mindset, I never really felt envious of anybody after that. <laughs> like it, it, you, you can't do it. Yeah. Um, so uh, what's one thing you do every day that you wish you could just automate? Gosh, management. Yeah. <laughs> like managing everyone and all that just an, an ai that represents you goes out and does your dirty work exactly. i like this idea exactly yeah that would be nice it'd be pretty good just like write some emails for yeah. you and then you check it eh, looks good send yeah. it uh so having traveled to 105 countries i bet you have you've fallen asleep someplace weird somewhere along the way What's the weirdest place you've ever fallen asleep? Oh my god, I actually sleep so well everywhere, so I I can pass out on command. So like, I love so that's a skill yeah. that suggests to me there's probably some place weird you fell asleep. Most likely, I mean, you know, planes, cars, trains, automobiles. I mean, so I can, there's just too many places. Too many like, places. I will, I couldn't pick. One. I will. I will. If I get a couple minutes to just chill, I like literally like will just I I will pass out anywhere. <laughs> so I I have a similar. skill. Uh, superpower. I think it's a superpower. I fell asleep at a rock concert once. Yeah. Wow. And that's when I was like, I might be short on sleep. <laughs> that's, that's, that's harder with the noise, I think. But, uh, 
yeah i'm I, I my only thing is is like when i get tired and i'm in the car that's dangerous so i need to make sure my ears are open and all that stuff i cannot fall asleep so what's what's something that people are obsessed with you just don't get the point of like what is what is their deal um gosh there's so many things actually no um i i've never had a tv so i don't really watch a bunch of sh you know sometimes i watch a movie or shows once in a while or like but i i don't get into a whole bunch of shows or a sport i don't watch sports really either so i don't know that whole space i know that's a huge thing um but that's not really my world <laughs> so i you're not really missing anything yeah. <laughs> Yeah, with the pandemic, I watched so much TV. I'm like, I did it. I beat TV. There's nothing interesting left. It's over. I want nothing to do with this. And now I've started doing yoga. So yeah, I think net win. Nice. Um, and my, well, here we go. Final lightning question. What's something weird you recommend everyone try at least once? Hmm. I think giving getting out of your comfort zone, traveling somewhere you you wouldn't expect. You know, normally predict like something that like something that would make you push you push you to kind of see the world like differently i think that's i like that advice i have never regretted pushing myself out of my comfort zone beforehand i'm like what was i thinking and then afterward i'm like that was great mm -hmm. um so on the the love is project where is it where can i go to find out more about you uh, you can go to our website loveisproject.com and you can read more about our story or impact and see our products. And, um, and, uh, we're also on Instagram, love is project and on Facebook and all the other social channels. <laughs> uh, and one last question. What's your favorite Shopify app these days? Favorite Shopify app, man. You can go with like three. It's fine. I mean, you can't just pick one. I mean, Clavio is LinkedIn. That's our CRM. So that generates, you know, a majority of our sales. So I feel like I can't live without Clavio. I like that choice. I think that's a yeah. good one. All right. We will end it there. Chrissy, thank you so much. This has been inspiring and insightful and fun. And I'm glad we talked today. Thank you so much, Kurt, for having me. And thanks for all your support. If you're new to the e-commerce space, you're probably thinking what we all were in the early days. Where the heck do I start? Product photography, discount codes, a logo? Thankfully, there's a really simple answer. Start with your theme. Your Shopify store theme is the foundation of your online storefront. Picking the right theme influences the way your store looks, how it works, and more importantly, how easy it is for visitors to see the value in what you're offering and convert them into paying customers. With close to 10 years of experience building beautiful, high-performing themes, the folks at Out of the Sandbox are experts in knowing what it takes to make your store a success. From the unmatched speed of Turbo to the endless customization of Flex, their themes are designed to look great and, more importantly, help you sell more. Whether you want to upgrade your existing theme or launch a brand new online store, Out of the Sandbox has a theme for you. Visit outofthesandbox.com and use promo code KURT20 for 20% off their best-selling themes and my favorites, Flex and Turbo. That's outofthesandbox.com slash unofficial promo code KURT20 for 20% off Flex and Turbo. If you'd like to help us spread the joy of entrepreneurship, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. If you're listening on a smartphone, tap or swipe up over the cover art of this podcast. You'll find some episode notes, including links to sites we discussed, and maybe some details you missed. You'll also find offers from our sponsors, so please support our show by supporting them. 
and thank you. The unofficial Shopify podcast was recorded and hosted by me, Kurt Elster, produced by my business partner, Paul Rita, for our Shopify partner agency, EtherCycle. Check us out at ethercycle.com. Thanks for listening.